Welcome to the Hybrid Real Estate Professional Podcast, where we dive deep into the intersection of career, family, and finances. Learn the mindsets, tips, and strategies to help you on your personal journey to build a life of abundance and purpose for you and your family. Now here's your host, Karen Amin. Welcome back to another episode of the Hybrid Real Estate Professional Podcast. Today, I am joined by a very special guest, Tim Woodbridge. Tim is a nurse turned full-time real estate investor. He invests in mobile home parks all across the Southeast, and he is about to actually close on his 10th mobile home park. He started investing in mobile home parks while he was a full-time nurse and transitioned into full-time. And he tells us his whole evolution of how he did that. And we talk about building systems, the power of mastermind groups, and how content plays into his strategy. We cover a lot of different topics and it is a wonderful conversation. Let's get into it. All right, welcome Tim Woodbridge to the Hybrid Real Estate Professional Podcast. Thank you so much for being here. I would love to introduce you to the audience, but I would rather have you do it than me. So can you give us a little bit of a rundown uh, on who you are and um, what you're all about? Sure. Thanks for having me, Aaron. Really appreciate it, man. I'm Tim Woodbridge. I really like mobile home parks. I've got nine right now. I am or was a nurse. I'm still a nurse, just not practicing for the last two years with my last job. And yeah, I'm California, living in South Carolina, and I love it here. <laughs> Very nice. Okay, so a lot of things I want to potentially retrace there. So you, were you born and raised in California, but now you're on the East Coast? Did I hear that right? Yeah, I left California when I was 19, moved to Arizona because my mom lives there or had moved there and lived all over Arizona for 12 years. Got a bachelor's of science in nursing uh, from Northern Arizona University in, at the end of 2012. And yeah, moved to Phoenix right after that to practice and about six years ago. Yeah, about six years ago, I moved here to Charleston. My brother was living here, totally didn't know anything about real estate, didn't know anything about anything. I knew nursing. And I came out here thinking if I didn't like it, I'd keep moving. But that was six years ago, and I love it. So, Did you hold your, did you get a nursing job when you moved or had you already exited the profession at that time? No, I, I was a nurse here for a while. So yeah, the interesting thing is it's like, my dad was a heart or my dad is a heart worker and but didn't know real financial literacy, at least not growing up. And so it was all like, get a good job, work hard. And so I remember being in nursing school. I can't wait to graduate. Things are going to be so much better. I'm going to have so much money. And as any nurse who's listening to this will know, that dream is relatively short-lived. I like the job. I like people. but. It didn't, there was, I wanted more. Uh, yeah, it, it was a good career to have. And if I ever need to, I can always go back to being a nurse. You don't forget things, not really. But yeah, that's, it was an interesting thing. Did you have a passion for the medical field? So you mentioned you moved from California to Arizona and that's where you, you studied and got your first nursing job. So did you, was that like something that you knew growing up that you wanted to get into or or? Were you just trying to find like a stable career? What was the thought process there? Yeah, I had no known 
nothing. Like I didn't know nursing. I was very surprised in my mid twenties when I was like, oh, I actually like that. I was going for just taking, having on jobs here and there in Northern Arizona and then going to community college and then into human biology. And I was like, oh, I like this. It's very fascinating to me and I really like people and it's a solid, like stable career and stability, like a, I had kind of a tumultuous teenage life, right? So stability is, and still is a big part of something that looks and feels really good to me. So I'm just like, yeah, I'm going to go for that stable job. And I was like, I can, I get a bachelor's of science in nursing. Maybe I'll probably go on to do like nurse practitioner, CRNA, blah, blah, blah. I'll go on, but then I finished school and I enjoyed it. And so I, I kind of, I became complacent, but also like happy at the same time. So I was satisfied with the job I had for a long time. Yeah. So then where did the seed come in of, Hey, let me get into real estate. And then detect, you know, obviously that progressed to the point where you ended up leaving the nursing profession. So can you like just trace us through the evolution there? Yeah. So, okay. I didn't really start reading much until I moved to South Carolina and it started with like listening to podcasts and I was like, oh, there's all these interesting things like Radiolab. I loved Radiolab. That's a really, I haven't listened in a long time, but it's a really cool one. Just like interesting stories. And then from there I found Audible and from Audible, oh, okay. I can listen to all these fiction books and all this interesting stuff out there. And then. Rich Dad, Poor Dad, it was always like I had seen it in God, in like Target. I worked in Target when I was in high school. So I remember seeing it then and I was like, oh, like this keeps popping up. So yeah, sure. How about I check that out? And I started reading or listening and everyone talks about how like fun, like how basic it is or how, oh, he's wrong about this, blah, like all these little things, but that, that didn't matter. Like at the time. Asset and liability were new words to me. So it's, oh my God. Yeah, that's how they do it. Like this veil had been lifted. And so I just did a deep dive and okay, let's, I get the basics, but how I need to learn more. So I just listened a lot and then listened to podcasts and stumbled upon things and Google search and all that. And then I'm on the Bigger Pockets podcast and I'm like, okay, I need to do this somehow. I don't know how, but I need to do it in some way. So that was the start, man. The a traditional evolution of the real estate investor awakening, right? It usually starts with Rich Dad, Poor Dad, which for those who don't know, that's a very famous book by Robert Kiyosaki. Most real estate investors will quote that as one of the first things they read that really made them start thinking about things like cash flowing assets and defining the categories of what really is an asset versus a liability. Those concepts, once you start thinking of them in the way that they're portrayed in the book, real estate becomes one of the obvious answers for how you can build wealth. And then, like you said, it leads toward things like the Bigger Pockets podcast, which is the you know, number one real estate podcast in the world, where they go across all different types of real estate assets from single family homes to large multifamily, self-storage. They interview business owners and then mobile home parks is definitely one of the more recent, trendier, kind of becoming popular. I would say, I'm guessing you probably got a little bit ahead of that trend, right? There's a few things in the past few years where like 
everyone was all about self-storage in 2021 and everyone this year is all about mobile home parks. Um, and I know there's people are getting into land and all sorts of other stuff, but I'm curious, you know, before you landed on mobile home parks, if I recall, you tried a couple other things within real estate. So what are the different areas that you invested in real estate leading up to now? Yeah. So, I mean, I dabbled before mobile home parks and then I dabbled a little bit after um, having a mobile home park. Um, like I looked into wholesaling. Everyone looks and says, oh, that's the first thing to do. Um, I didn't actually really do wholesaling until I had a couple of mobile home parks, but that's, you know, another story. But I didn't know. I didn't know what I wanted to do. And I talked to a lot of people and then, yeah, Frank Roth came on the Bigger Pockets podcast and Brandon Turner and David Green, I believe, were talking to him. And I was like, yeah, I like that. I like the fundamentals of it. I like it's a non-subsidized, low-income housing. I like that it's like low and slow. So maybe that's, that goes back to the same thing. It's, it's consistent. It's, it, there's always a need there. It's pretty stable. That's looking at my psychology and whatnot is probably, it's a bunch of things that grab me, but that I like the low and slow, the consistent low and slow. Side note, I was just at Jake and Gino conference this past weekend and I met David Green and I said, hey, I just want to say thank you so much for, because of you guys, now I have nine mobile home parks. That's amazing. Yeah, I know that those guys take a lot of pride in what they do and how far of a reach. So David Green, for those who don't know, he's a, the current host of the Bigger Pockets podcast. He was the co-host, but now he's taking over as the full-time host. But yeah, they cover a lot of ground and they really inspire Really, I, I can't think of a single investor I've talked to that hasn't listened to at least one episode of that podcast. And so once you do the, the rabbit hole and you can explore, it's a really good way to get exposure to like, am I even interested in this? Am I interested in self-storage? Am I interested in multifamily? It's just listen to a few episodes, but that's so cool. You got to meet him and tell him that. I'm sure he appreciated it. So I think one of the things I'm most interested about with, you know, when I see you now, you are so comfortable and you have built a system, you have investors, you have partners, you have a whole machine going to where buying a mobile home park for you is just another Tuesday. But can you tell us about the beginning, like the first deal? Like how did you, with no prior experience buying mobile home parks, buy your first mobile home park? What, what were the steps you had to take? How did you have to sell it to people? What did that look like? First, I want to say, yeah, it looks, it's easy and it's easier for me now for sure. There's still things in my head that, that I'd beat myself up about that I really have to give myself a little bit of forgiveness about and like a little bit of grace. But there's always the next level. So I just, I say that because I see people who are a few years ahead of me and I remember a few years ago seeing people like me and being like, oh man, like that's it. Once you're there, everything's good. Everything's not good, but you figure it out. I figure it out when there's issues. I'm a problem solver. I will figure it out. They're just bigger problems now than they used to be, which I love that. These were the problems I wanted three years ago. But yeah, you know, once I decided mobile home parks, I did a deep dive. I looked, and found all the people who were doing it. I didn't take any courses, I probably should have. I didn't, I just did a lot of research. And I found one that was listed by an 
the seller on mobilehomeparkstore.com. And it was maybe like five months on the market. Mm. Sure, I was green, but even I knew that, okay, there's probably some opportunity here. So I call the seller up. And so just know everything I did, I was like super, super nervous. And everything I do new now, I'm still nervous. It's just a different nervous. I, oh shoot, I don't know what to say. Like, and I call and I got a voicemail and I just, I didn't leave a voicemail. And I just sent a text. I said, hey, I'm, I'm not sure if I have the right person. I'm looking for the owner of this Deerwood Estates mobile home park. And I'm interested in buying. And I just sent that and it was like super scary. And then I got a call back, I don't know when, later that evening, the next day or something. And we're talking and he's, you know, that I'm Tom, I, you know, I own this mobile home park and, you know, just talking a little bit and I don't know anything, but I know people. So I'm just building rapport a little bit, you know, seeing what makes him tick, what's up with him. He's a retired pharmacist. His daughter is a physician up in Chicago, rheumatologist, I think, if I still remember. Her husband is a cardiology doctor, and he wants to go up there and spend more time with his grandbaby. I said, oh, that's so cool. Like, I'm a, a nurse, and I'm really interested in getting in this space. And so he just, like, it was a good conversation. Not really, I mean, talking about some of the, the parts of the park, but more it's just, let's talk about people, get to know someone as a person. He's yeah, you know, come up, come up and, and check out the park. I'll show it to you. And so I scheduled that weekend. I drove up, it was like an hour 15 or so away from me. And so I drive up there to the middle of nowhere. Like it's not the middle of nowhere, but it's a small town in South Carolina. And so I had never been there before. It was all new, all scary. And I don't know exactly what I'm going to say. I had printed up a, a contract with one purchase price. And we didn't end up using that contract because that's all I had. And I go, I see the park, I'm asking questions. I meet, so I meet him and his brother and they're the nicest people, but I'm five, six and they must be six, one, six, two each. And so I'm in the middle of nowhere to me and these two big guys, and I'm just trying to play cool. And after watch, after looking at the park and talking about it, we go to lunch and we're talking and I like pull out my binder or whatever. And I'm like, based on this and this and this, I know you want this. I'm so sorry. I can't get that number, but I'm here at this much, much lower number. And he, he's no, I can't do it. And I was like, okay, he's like, I can't do it. Anything less than this. I said, okay. I said, if I buy it from you for that, will you sell it to me? And he said, yes. And I said, will you finance it to me? And he said, I'll finance 50,000. Now, like the real estate meetup I was going to at the time, it was all like older guys who know what they're doing. And like their bread and butter was seller finance. So it was just a natural thing for me to say, I'm not smart. I just hang around with people smarter than me is, is what I like to say. So he said, okay, I'll finance that $50,000 of, of the park. And uh, yeah, I left without a signed contract. He could have said to hell with you. He didn't because he's a good upstanding guy. It took a long time because only 10 to 36 pads were occupied. Eventually he grew up with a banker, a guy, a vice president of a bank. They ended up giving me the loan. I used the $50,000 that the seller carried back to. And so I just had to find a guy who had a little bit of cash because I had some, but not that much. So. 
ups and downs, but we got it closed. Holy crap. So how much did you have to raise? So you had the seller carry part of the loan to you. And how much did you have to raise from a partner? Okay, so we'll simplify the math because it was simple. Purchase price of 250, bank loan of 175, seller carry of 50. So we were, it was me and another guy who <clears throat> the other guy ended up stealing from me and my other eventual partner. Another store, but I know, bro, I know. So, so we got another guy in this local real estate meetup, right? So this guy that I had, partnered with who I said, you know, we were friends and he always wore a slick suit. I thought he had lots of money. So I thought he was going to help. Uh, like, like long story short, that guy ended up taking money. And if someone looks slick, then don't fall for it anyway. So there was another guy and he's my current partner. We knew from another, from the same local real estate meetup. He brought the 25, I brought C200 ish for closing costs. And then the park was closed. I didn't know what I was going to do, but I knew what I needed. I knew I, I, okay, there's all this vacancy at the park. I need to bring more homes in. I had no idea. I didn't know how to run anything. I was just like, I'm going to figure this out. My God, I, it's an amazing thing. I, you've said problem solving a few times and that, that obviously is the key to all this. Cause you solved the financing, you solved the operations once you owned it. And you had the courage to get in the car and drive up there and have those conversations in person. When I think about the average real estate transaction, usually it's, I email my agent and say, Hey, I want to put in this offer for this price. And then they email the offer to the agent who emails it to the seller, right? There's, and there's nothing wrong with that at all. But I, I admire the fact that you actually sat down, like you said, you guys, you met, you talked, you had lunch. And you got to know them and what they were looking for. And through that, you were able to solve and understand, okay, you want this price. I can do that. If you help me solve part of my problem with the financing, it's just such a thorough way of doing business. And then I'm sure I'm just learning from that one deal. And like you said, you're still partnering with the same person now. And you guys have, is he a partner on all nine of these parts? No, he's just a partner on the first one. He went and bought a business. Okay. So I run that work and I have been since we like closed it and I did everything. And then eventually I got a bookkeeper and then eventually now I have property management assistance, but I know how to run a park because I did everything for a while and not, not to disparage my partner. Cause I like him a lot. He's a great guy. He has helped. Like when we first bought the park, there are all these manual read water meters. And so we took them all out and put Metron remote read water meters in. And he did, I helped him, right? So he did most of it because he's handier than I am. But the operation side, that's what I do. And that's what I've learned. And I've learned like trial through fire sort of thing. I've learned because I've had to. Absolutely. And were you still working full time? Oh yeah. And nurses, that's, it's only, it's only 312s. So I was, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and then I picked up a PRN shift actually on Monday evening. So like from two to 10, I want to say, yeah, two to 1030. And then, so those four shifts a week. And that when I had downtime at work, I was looking at my phone and getting stuff done and figuring out all the weird ins and outs of stuff that needed to happen. But yeah, I, definitely. <laughs> yeah. That's amazing. And so at what point did you then make the determination like, hey, I want to go 
all in. I'm going to leave my job and, and I believe I can string this together into a career as a real estate investor. So clearly I take action before thinking sometimes, or I think, but really I just I take a plunge. So I had one park and let's see, I had that. It was two years until I got into my second park, but I, before I got that second park, I was, my last job was an outpatient dialysis job. And I was doing something a little bit different because I was all in person, inpatient hospital stuff. I got a different job and it was a great job if it was staffed well, but it was often not staffed well. So I hated it. And it was one of the only jobs I've, I've ever really hated because I was like, I'm working twice as hard because you guys can't staff well. I had my ex and I, one of my exes, right? My ex and I split up and I bought a condo in Mount Pleasant, South Carolina, because it was close to her work. It happened to be close to my work too, but like I bought it with her in mind. We broke up and I was like, you know what? It's a great time to sell. This was mid 2021. And so like I owned the condo for two years and I knew I could sell and not have to pay capital gains. And so I sold it. And between that and like a little bit of savings, I had I say like 85 grand in the bank. And I always say stuff because I always wonder about how people do stuff. So like getting like granular and showing how it is, it's 85 grand is a lot to some and it's not that much to lots of others. So it, it depends. But like, I'm only saying it to show how it, it was done. So I was at that job, I had 85 grand in the bank and I had one mobile home park and I said, I hate this. I need to stop. Like I need to leave nursing right now. And if I don't, I'll regret it. So I don't know what I'm going to do, but I'm going to figure it out. And so I gave my two week notice left and then had no idea what the hell I was going to do. <laughs> so I, I had a little bit of money though. I had, it bought me time. Because that's what money is. It's a tool. The money bought me some time to not freak out and figure out what I was going to do. So I, you're telling what I consider to be half the story, right? You had money, but you also had a mobile home park, which you had taught yourself how to buy, finance, operate, partner. Like you had built a very valuable skill set on how to essentially built yourself a playbook on how to do this. You didn't just leap and say, I'll figure it out, right? You, you already had some stuff in motion. But yeah, I can see to your point, it was seeded out of a little bit of frustration at the job you were working and then some changing life circumstances. But you mentioned, hey, sometimes you take action before you really fully think. But I look almost on the other side where I will think myself in circles before I take action. Now, obviously I, I still do take action, but sometimes there's something to be said for taking a leap, uh, especially if you are a problem solver, right? If, if you are willing to take a leap of faith and you're willing to get in a little bit of deep water and, and figure out how to dig yourself out of any holes you might end up in and solve problems. And you mentioned you had a real estate networking group that could, you could bounce ideas off of and that's the way to do it, right? If you're going to. If you want to be in real estate, it is a problem solver's game. Even if you own cherry single family rentals, sour relationships with property managers or scammers, like there's 
there are things that can and probably will come up if you invest in real estate over a long time horizon. Yeah, having a bias for action and being a problem solver, like those are probably the two best assets you can have. And then building relationships to surround that. That's the most simplified toolkit I can think of for an investor. Let's talk about some of those networks for a minute. Actually, sorry, you looked like you're about to say something. So they, I was going to say, even those turnkey, whatever, is not going to be turnkey forever. Yeah. Unless you're like, I'm going to buy turnkey, hold it for two years and then sell it. Sure. But man, I don't know. So it's a risky, that's risky to me. But yeah, everything, there's problems in everything. Life, there's problems. You learn how to solve them and you can get rich. You shy away from them and you're probably going to miss the boat. That's what I've found at least. Yeah, it's okay. There's no problem. Everyone has a different risk appetite. And some people are risk averse, which again, like there's, there's no judgment on that. I think there are plenty of ways to have less risky investments that are more passive. They still get the job done and help people accomplish their financial goals. But I think for people like you and me, we've seen how powerful real estate can be across so many different levels generating cash flow, tax benefits, appreciation, and just that entrepreneurial drive of, hey, this could be built into something very generationally meaningful. That's, I think, the type of person that that sticks it out in the long run in, in real estate. So you mentioned you were in some real estate local networks. Obviously, Brian's going to get his free plug every time I do one of these podcasts because I keep circling back. Tim and I are both in Action Academy together which is a mastermind, it's a paid mastermind. And the average person in there has you know, several rentals, if not dozens. And we intentionally put ourselves in a room with people like that so we could elevate our knowledge and our network. How have masterminds and networking groups played into your journey? And what would you say to someone who isn't part of those and might be on the fence about spending money on things like that? They spend the money, dude. I didn't for a long time. I'm cheap, really, right? And it's not that I won't spend money if I see the value, but I'm always, I'm unsure. I'm sure, unsure about the value. But a couple of years ago, I joined the deal room, which is like the my first million in multifamily thing. I met Yaden and Jennings here in, in Charleston, South Carolina. And it's been amazing that the people that are in the group. So what I didn't get, I thought you pay for to be in a group because, oh, they have some special education. I didn't realize that it was all about the network. And sure, you get education from things, but it's that's not the primary thing. The primary thing is your network and learning who can do stuff, who can help, who can have a help you with an answer to a problem you have. But with Action Academy, I love Brian. Well done. You're super young and it's totally amazing how you have a, he's got a grip on all this, but like he is a master of simplifying the hell out of things. I feel like I'm a master of making things overly complicated. And like the, there's so many times I've heard, if you can only do three things, if you can only do three things, what would it be? Make a list of the 20 most important things and then just do the top three to five, blah, blah, blah. I've heard it a million times, but. He provides the tool to implement that. And it's so simple. And when I joined, I was like, oh, okay. Yeah. I just have to basically put this in a to-do list. And it's, I know it sounds stupid. I know it sounds simple, but 
it is simple, but it, I couldn't see the forest for the trees. And now with his help, I'm, it's just, okay, do these big things that move the needle. And sure, you can, I, I can go in my head and like all these things move the needle, but what really moves the needle? And so he was good in helping narrow, narrow that down. Yeah, fair. And just to be clear to anyone listening, right? It, it's not that you, whether it's a paid mastermind or any type of mastermind, joining it by itself doesn't move the needle. It's obviously what you put into it. But Tim and I, for example, are in an accountability group together where we meet once a week and we check in with each other. We learn what are we working on that week? What outcomes are we hoping to achieve by the end of that week? Where can we help each other? And then we give each other feedback. Hey, is this realistic? Is it overly complex? Tim said, he and I both, I think, have helped each other where we'll come with, oh, I'm going to do these 15 things of somewhat not related. And I just, I, hopefully I'll get it done by the end of the week. And then by the end of our call, we'll have simplified it and don't, no, go do these three things five days in a row. And I bet you will move forward. So there's just value of getting feedback from other people, getting other perspectives. Like I don't buy mobile home parks currently. And Tim doesn't operate in the, the same space of real estate that I do. We definitely have perspective that's valuable to each other. And at the end of the day, like we're just driving towards our goals and, and helping each other out. So that's just one little microcosm within this larger mastermind. But within the mastermind, we have also a network of people across all these different asset classes that if we run into any type of snag, we just ask a question of the group and there's people pounce on it and come to help and, and uh, pour, pour it into each other with uh, information. And so I, uh, whether it's Action Academy or another mastermind, I highly recommend it. And I don't think that it, it's easy to get fixated on whatever the cost is and think of, oh, it's just huge expense, but it's an investment. Mm -hmm. And if you're in it for the long run, it is worth every penny, especially if you're going to you know, put some value into it yourself. So that's really cool. You, your story about how you got the first park, that wasn't from Action Academy or Mastermind, but you did leverage some relationships that you had in your local meetup that I'm sure made it easier. Uh, so that's very cool. I know uh, we don't have a ton of extra time. I wanted to touch on one other kind of topic though. So you have now your very well-defined niche. The mobile home parks is your sweet spot. You've gotten good at it. You see the potential. You've gone from that first deal where you're solving problems, learning things on the fly to now you have a system and you even have a team. So where is this all going? And then also like from a lifestyle perspective, what do you envision your life looking like now that you have picked a path? So my girlfriend is a high school teacher and we have both discussed that this could be her last year if she so chooses to, to do that. She loves the job, but it's like nursing in that it's they, it's like a death from a thousand cuts sort of thing, because there's so much to do and it's unfortunate because she loves all the kids, but so much that she's doing and that she's not able to properly spend time with people or with the kids. So yeah, that that's my goal for this next or for this next little bit, getting it. So this is her last year. And then, yeah, just building from there, man. I have finished 10X is easier than 2X. And it's a great book if y'all haven't read it. And so that's where I am now. I'm like, okay, how do I 10X this? Because I'm not going to 10X this by doing the same thing. So I've got to 
get into that mindset. I got to start talking to people who are at that 10x level and being like, how do I do this? I love mobile home parks. I would love to, I'm going to have 10, uh, 10 mobile home parks when I close my next in a few weeks, a couple of weeks. How do I get to 100? And it's not that I need to, it's just that I want to. I like it. I want to, I want to build a legacy that is very affordable housing space that can help a lot of people that wouldn't otherwise. I, for homes I have, I lease with an option to purchase them for like brand new mobile homes. And it was, it was difficult getting people in. It, it was a learning experience. It wasn't difficult. It was just harder than I had expected. But I got people in to all the homes. And I remember one of the tenants friended me on Facebook and whatever. Sure. That's fine. I've got like a thousand or 5,000 friends, whatever. A lot of friends on Facebook. So I said, yeah, okay. And then I was scrolling through one day and he's posted a picture of the home. Grateful to be in this home. Glad that I have something to call my own sort of thing. And like stuff like that's meaningful to me. Sure, I can have all the money in the world that feels empty. Don't get me wrong. I want all the money in the world. I'm not saying I don't, but I also want people to be like, hey, thank you for what you've done. I want to change lives for the better. That's amazing. Yeah, because sometimes, and there's, I'm not knocking on people who run these type operations, but you, let's say you invest in a syndication where the whole operation is to go in and take a fully occupied multifamily building and squeeze the tenants out and do a big value add and and then charge 60% more for rent. It's like all of a sudden, yes, you produce this beautiful asset and maybe you increase the value of other parts of the neighborhood. But those are tough situations sometimes because you really, it is very sensitive no matter what part of real estate you're in. You're dealing with places that people live mm-hmm. and you are ultimately affecting their lives and their finances. And so I think it's really cool that what you're doing, you're able to achieve the financial goals that you have while also tying it to this objective of providing affordable housing, giving people the option to buy, like all these things that can change their life in a positive way. I mean, it's hard to find, it's hard to find extremely lucrative win-wins that where someone isn't getting value isn't being taken away from someone and added to someone else. Mm-hmm. But in this case, it sounds, if you play things out the way you want to, that you can get pretty close to that. It's not achieve it, which is really cool. Yeah. I'm not interested uh, in win-lose situations. It's, it doesn't strike with me as a person. If it's not win, doesn't work for me. I'd rather just walk away from the deal. <laughs> yeah. So what does a day in your life look like right now? So right now, you know me, I'm moving. So all the KPIs are done. Otherwise, I am, uh, so I been getting better at a morning ritual, even though I'm, it takes me a long time to do things sometimes. So I'm working on that. But once I get going at 9, 10-ish in the morning, it's, so my KPIs are put it on for own on a mobile home park. So engage with a broker, analyze, put a letter of intent together, have a conversation. And then the next thing is working on my SOPs for my operation side of my in-house mobile home property management company that I've created through a lot of learning what not to do. And then my other KPI has to do with 
exercising and spending uh, quality time with my girlfriend and having like quality conversations. So that's it. It's a simplified list of things to do, but it's the, it's the most success I've had because I'm simplifying my life. So I love it. Like I, we were talking about earlier when Tim and I met a few months ago, we started, we both started with these giant lists of 50 things we were going to do throughout the week. And we've slowly challenged each other to whittle it down to, to those simpler measurable things. And I believe it is working well for both of us. But I want to just highlight one thing you said. So your goal is to send one LOI or one offer per day. Is that correct? Or per weekday, maybe? Yeah. Uh, Monday through Thursday. That's for a week. So just for anyone listening who thinks it's easy, right? Imagine if you just said, oh, I'm going to send one a week. Imagine how much slower this process would go. But no, he's challenging himself to do the analysis and achieve enough volume, analyze enough deals that he's comfortable putting in an offer four times a week. That's how you go from no mobile home parks to 10 in however many short period of time, right? So whether it's single family, real estate, multifamily, whatever space you're in or passionate about, that going through the motions, the repetitions of analyzing deals and putting in offers, that's how you, that's how you grow. So that's really cool. Last question I have for you, how does content and putting your, I, I see now that you've posted a lot more online, you're, you're posting on Facebook, you got, you're trying to pull people in to book calls with you to get to know you and your company. So how does content play into your strategy? And also what do you want people to know about how they can uh, get in touch with you and interact with you? Um, so content plays, I'd hire a VA to do it all for me because I'm not going to do it myself. I know that's my weakness. So I hire someone better at it. Um, when I hired him, I said, I don't know exactly what I'm doing, but I know that I'm doing a lot of cool stuff and I want people to know. And I know, I know from listening to everyone ahead of me that it's important. So yeah, I, closing deals are work like win-wins that work for the seller, for us, for our investors, for the tenants. Like I'm long-term bullish on mobile home parks. And yeah, I'm always down to have conversations. I like people. I like talking to people and seeing, meeting people where they're at. But yeah, get a hold of me, Tim Woodbridge on Facebook, Tim Woodbridge on Instagram, Tim Woodbridge something on LinkedIn. I don't remember because I don't keep track of it. But yeah, dude, I'm always down for a conversation. I'm always down to help people. I like the asset class. I'm able to send out so many LOIs because I've done so much work. So if you're new, Give yourself a break. Send out one letter of intent a, a month or like research. Don't judge yourself based on what I'm doing. And I will do my best not to judge myself based on what the guy three years ahead of me is doing. That is a really good point, right? I, I, you know, what I was saying earlier about, hey, Tim sends out four LOIs a week. That doesn't mean that you should be if you've never even thought about mobile home parks. It just means, you know, you in order to grow in, in your business and scale your business over time, you know, understanding and, and becoming comfortable analyzing deals and figuring out how to put the appropriate amount of effort and time in to achieve the goals that you have for your situation. You know, there is a lot of just putting in the reps, um, but that is very individual and that's a good call out. I will find Tim's actual LinkedIn profile link. And we will list all of his uh, Facebook and make sure you guys know how to get in touch with him. But Tim, this is a really fun conversation. I absolutely want to 
have you back sometime and uh, check in with you in the future. Uh, but I really appreciate you coming on the show. Thank you so much for having me. Awesome.